From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka uh, back to talk about all the wild moves that is NFL free agency plus whatever else we get to in the next 30 minutes or so. Danny, good morning. Welcome back. Um, I heard that you are fully prepared, ready to go, and you are looking forward to talking about Joe Flacco to the Jets. I need you to remind me he's fine. <laughs> I, I hear you. All right. Let's start with, with Deshaun Watson. Whatever you think of Deshaun Watson, th- these are facts. These are not opinions. These, these are facts. A, he was not, uh, a grand jury chose not to indict him on, on any of the criminal complaints. There are civil complaints, 22 of them lawsuits still that have to be figured out in the court system. And the NFL has consistently said that once the legal process concludes, uh, they will look at him in the personal conduct policy and figure out if there is any punishment that should be uh, handed out there. All that is a backstory, or sorry, all, all that is the background to the news that he has been traded to the, the, the Cleveland Browns for three ones and some other picks and given a brand new $230 million fully guaranteed five-year contract. The dude who has not played in over a year got a raise, got the biggest guarantee, I think, in NFL history, or one of the biggest, if not. And we don't know when this player is going to be able to get back on a football field and compete for the team that he is now traded to, which is Cleveland. So with that preamble, your thoughts, sir? It was an interesting saga. I mean, it went from 0 to 60 real quick. Friday, last Friday was when he had the, the hearing. And from there, you know, he got cleared for right now of any wrongdoing. I don't want to say any wrongdoing from any, you know, criminal charges coming down to him. He's still facing potential civil litigation. I'm not going to pretend to know the law or, or how that works, so I'm not going to comment on that. But as soon as that was done, all these teams started to come out of the woodwork and say, hey, we're interested in, in trading for him. Some names I didn't think, I didn't expect, you know, we didn't, we saw the Falcons, the Saints, the Seahawks, all these teams jump in there that were never really linked to him to begin with. Miami seemed to have no interest in him anymore after Brian Flores left. So I I personally didn't really see uh, a fit for him right off the bat. And then, you know, as the week went on, he was comfortable meeting with Carolina, with Atlanta, with New Orleans and Cleveland. And all of a sudden on Wednesday, Cleveland was no longer an option for him. He didn't want to go there. So I, I, it'd be interesting to know what changed from him saying, no, I don't want to go to Cleveland, to, yes, I want to go to Cleveland. It's not like they signed anybody major in that time period. Yes, they added Amari Cooper this year. But overall, you know, no, nothing major changed from the time him saying no to the time he gets traded. What's interesting in, in between all that is that you get Baker Mayfield playing the victim, putting out apology notes on social media, which is all the craze nowadays. Thank your fans and tell, tell them how much you love them and how much you cared about them and how hard you fought. And 
and you know now now we saw a divorce in plain sight with them as well. What's going to happen from all this? I, I have no idea. I I still think Sean Watson has a lot to prove. You know, both in the court of law and on the field, he has the richest contract in NFL history. I'm sure there's in, there's language in there that helps them get out of that contract to be suspended or, or found guilty on something that allows them not to participate in football activities. Perhaps the guaranteed contract was a way for them to have that out. What um, they have, what well, we talked about this yesterday, the tiniest of windows open. No first-round draft pick in the next three years. Uh, they're going to have some offensive line questions come up as well in the next couple of years that Deshaun Watson's there. They have, you know, a decent set of skilled position players. Uh, you know, Nick Chubb, Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku. But defensively, you know, they definitely need to take a step up if they're going to be in that in that window in that sphere of, of competitors. We all have seen what's gone down in the AFC West this year. The Bills have gotten better, adding Von Miller. Then they'll get another year of you know Josh Allen maturing. So it, it's going to be an interesting AFC this year. Deshaun Watson just adds that intrigue. Totally, and <coughs> excuse me, in a division that has Joe Burrow, that has. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson, um, whoever winds up being the quarterback for um, Cleveland is going to be in a very interesting spot because you've also got Pittsburgh in the post-Big Ben era. So a lot of moving parts there. Speaking of moving parts, this means that Baker Mayfield needs to move. Where do you think he winds up? The three teams that come off the page are Houston, but obviously Houston, I don't think, has any interest in him or they would have asked for him back. They're probably comfortable rolling out with Davis Mills and maybe potentially taking another young quarterback this year or next year to compete with him. Seattle has a definite void there, but I don't know how, how interested they're going to be in him either. And then you have maybe some outlier teams. You know, the Colts seem to be his preferred destination. We'll see about that. Uh, Washington would have been a team to, to consider, but they got Carson Wentz. Atlanta could be a team that could look at him, maybe. Um, you know, as something as a, a bridge quarterback after Matt Ryan's contract is over or, or getting rid of Matt Ryan. But, but the obvious choice, I think, is Indy. We have to see if that works out for him. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of him. I was never a big fan of him coming out of college. I thought he demonstrated some, you know, personality traits I wouldn't want my, my quarterback to have. He's obviously had a really bad year last year. How much of that was due to injury, we don't know. I'd say a big part, but I don't know if he's somebody worth investing in. And we obviously got that, that you know, that message from Cleveland by, by going out in the market, getting Deshaun Watson, mortgaging their future for him and them not willing to do it for Baker Mayfield, they obviously don't think that he has the ceiling that they need in order to compete in the AFC. Yeah, it's... <laughs> this is not what I expected, uh, needless to say, uh, coming into um, free agency. Um, as you 
sit here right now, the other interesting move that completely puzzled me that I did not see coming is Devontae Adams being traded to Las Vegas. And you get Aaron Rodgers back. And you think that, okay, this is because he wanted Devontae. They franchised Devontae. Okay, this is all working. This is all working. And then you trade Devontae. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers knew about this the whole time. Uh, okay. Now, I get it. He played college football with Derek Carr. It's been a goal of his forever. But sure looks weird, doesn't it? It's a downgrade in every sense of the, of the word. You know, you look at it from uh, a, a playing perspective. You go from playing with one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Say what you want about his playoff record, whatever. It is what it is. But he is, Devontae Adams is who he is because he plays with a quarterback or playing with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. That, that just really, at the end of the day, um, you know, we can, we can talk about Devontae Adams and what he does on the field. But a lot of what he does on the field is allowed because of how Aaron Rodgers plays. And, and, and that's a fact. You know, I don't, I don't want to have an argument with somebody about Devontae Adams being the best wide receiver in football, you know, because he is who he is. Yeah, I agree with that in part, but you look at the way Aaron Rodgers played and the way he's elevated guys like Devontae Adams, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, like those guys were what they were because they played with Aaron Rodgers and, and the way that he runs that offense and the way he's able to get the ball out of his hands extend plays, etc. Now you go to a team that has a severe downgraded quarterback, a first-year head coach, uh, Josh McDaniels, and yes, he coached, but that was over 12 years ago as uh, an NFL head coach. Then you go to the toughest division probably in football on paper right now in the AFC West. I, 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 I mean, all, all two, you know, he's getting paid, and that was probably really important to him, but the success you saw in Green Bay, I, I don't think he's going to duplicate that in Las Vegas. No. I don't think he's going to get the individual accolades as well as the team accolades that he was going to get in Green Bay. So, you know, I guess playing with Eric Carr was more important to him, but I, I, I don't see it from, like, a competitive standpoint. You're not going to be in a better situation in Las Vegas than you were going to be in Green Bay. And... You know, that brought me back to thinking about Rodgers. Why did he sign if he knew Devontae Adams was leaving? But, you know, I guess we'll find out about that as we go through the draft and, and everything else. But the, the Adams situation to me is just a, a downgrade overall for him. I, I don't think we're going to see the same Devontae Adams production and, and player in Las Vegas as we saw in Green Bay. Yeah, that, that one did not make any sense at all. To me, and um, to me, the, the Josh McDaniels era in Las Vegas is starting very similar to the way it was in Denver. Mm. I think that they have put themselves in the corner. Derek Carr's got to be your QB now, regardless of how he performs. You lost that first round draft pick, so you can't, you know, restock the, the, the defense, which they need to do. They made, you know, a big signing with Chandler Jones. 
But they have a lot of money tied up now in Max Crosby and Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, and now you have to look to extend Derek Carr. The, the path for the Raiders to be is more cloudy now than it was before Josh McDaniels got there because they all of a sudden now are very, very top-heavy with the way that they structure their team. That brings us to the other quizzical moment and the final, in my mind, really quizzical moment of this free agency cycle, which is Tom Brady returning. Um, He's lost some pieces, some key pieces, um, that made those teams competitive. We know that this team has had a short window. And Tom turns around, changes his mind, and comes back. And I'm like, geez, can we just, like, move on from this? Like, this is just enough already. Um, so when you saw it last Sunday, and then, and, and we're talking on Saturday, March 19th, when you saw it last Sunday and then, you know, thinking about it six days later, kind of where's your head at on Tom Brady returning? I'm with you. Like, can we move on already? Um, I, I want to know why he came back, and... What was the whole retirement talk about to begin with? Like, was he just upset with working with Bruce Arians? It's not going to change. Um, he's going to have to work with Bruce Arians again. Uh, he he made the mistake, I think, at the end of the day, signing that extension last year at the Super Bowl, because if he doesn't sign that extension, he would have been out of a contract this year and been a free agent and maybe been able to pick where he wants to go, whether that would have been Tennessee or... San Francisco, whatever it may be, he kind of put himself in this spot. I don't know, you know, what changed between his retirement and and Sunday for him to say that, you know, I, I still want to play football. I don't think he ever really wanted to retire. And I don't know. He's just, he lives in his own world. The, everything else revolves around it. Tampa Bay, you mentioned, could lose some pieces, but... I think the important pieces are still there, uh, like, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. They'll probably resign Leonard Fournette. Maybe, you know, make some uh, draft picks along the offensive line to secure that backup. But, yeah. They I, re-signed his center, Jensen. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know what changed in those 40 days that he was retired for him to be like, I need to come back now. He's still going to be in the same spot that he was going to be in if he never did. So, I don't know. He's just, he's in his own world, to be honest. That, that's how I look at it. And I'm sure we'll have another productive year. Tampa Bay will be in the mix. The crappy division, the NFC South, you know, no, no team's going to really, you know, push Tampa Bay to win that division, really, at, when you look at it, unless something catastrophic happens. So he has a clear path to the playoffs. The other teams in, this division, in the NFC haven't really gotten that much better. Green Bay's gotten a little bit worse. L.A. is going to be another year older, and you know, they've restocked a little bit too. But, yeah, I don't know what, what changed to make him say, you know, I'm going to come back out of retirement. He, he barely had 40 days to spend, spend that time. I guess being at home with your family for that long already for him was enough. Yeah, just really weird. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up, talking NFL free agency. Okay, now we move to the the deals that either people like or they don't like for personal reasons but aren't as quizzical. The Vikings seem to love Kirk Cousins and seem to not want to move on from Kirk Cousins. 
Um, I texted a Vikings fan that I know after he resigned, uh, you know, had that one year extension, which was able to move around his cap number. And uh, he texted me something that I can't say on the show. Um, he's not very happy. Um, but Kirk Cousins puts up numbers. And numbers are one thing, and obviously wins are another. They've had trouble in the latter. Um, do you think that they're on a path to doing anything that warrants giving him the, the one-year $35 million of a fully guaranteed extension, which then lowers the 22 cap number to $14 million? I don't know. Kirk Cousins has made a, a lot of money being a mediocre quarterback, and not just the market of the NFL. Perhaps Kevin O'Connell understands that, you know, going into his first year as an NFL head coach, that having somebody he understands can cater an offense to makes him feel more comfortable, and that's where the investment comes in. I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to get any better than he has been. He is what he is at this point. I, I think we all know that. I think it's just more of a comfort uh, situation than it is saying, hey, he's the best available player for us. They could have been aggressive in the trade market. They could have also gone after Deshaun Watson. They have some great pieces offensively there. They're going to mesh really well with his skill set. But, you know, besides Deshaun Watson, is upgrading to, you know, Baker Mayfield or Carson Wentz really the answer for them? Probably not. And, again, Kevin O'Connell has the experience working with, you know, similar-type quarterbacks as him. He has an offense that will probably translate very well into what Kirk Cousins does. For me, at the end of the day, it's more of a comfort thing than it is, a, say, like a skill set thing. I think that's why they're, they're doing this with him. They just want to put their, their first-year head coach in the best possible position. Kirk Cousins knows the skill set uh, of the players he's going to be playing with. And, and they'll, they'll run it back one more year. Again, the NFC has gotten a little bit weaker, so... So those playoff teams that were in the mix last year might not be in there this year. But, you know, it opens up a spot for them. Um, but, but we'll see. I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to all of a sudden be a top-ten quarterback based on what we've seen from him the last couple of years. Yeah. It's an interesting situation and, and, and an interesting story to watch as we get into the heart of the NFL season. Your Giants, Tyrod Taylor, the backup to Daniel Jones slash pushing Daniel Jones. Is he the veteran you wanted? Yeah, I, I didn't want them to spend money on a quarterback given the other needs they have on that team. And they did it anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, it Feels was, like you've it, said that a bunch over the years. Yeah, it was between him and Mitchell Trubisky. You know, neither option to me was going to move the needle. At the end of the day, they wanted to have an insurance plan for Daniel Jones in the event that you know he gets hurt, which he has done the last two seasons. Also, it's a two-year deal, so if they move on from Daniel Jones, they at least have the opportunity to have somebody in the locker room um, in year two of that regime that, that will know the team and know the offense and, and maybe bridge a gap. I just, again, I, I would rather have a, a crappy quarterback backing up Daniel Jones 
maybe invest some of that money in a long-term asset. And if you know you got to move on from Daniel Jones at the end of the year, at least at least you have some foundational pieces there for the next quarterback. But to me, 2022 and 2023 are going to be a very long year to the Giants fan. It just all their moves this season were meant to clean the books. One-year deals, nothing that's going to carry over, nothing that puts them in a situation that they were in this year where they have a lot of aging veterans on bad contracts. They wanted a clean slate, so I, I get that approach. Um, but if there was going to be an investment, I, I would have liked to have seen that in some long-term assets that they could develop. Uh, but it, it looks like they want to do that through the draft and with players that they want. So... I get that approach. Um, to me, it just signals that this year and next year are going to be two very, very, very difficult years rooting for that team. We'll see how all that plays out as we continue. I think one of the more underrated and under-talked about signings of free agency, and maybe it was because it was it took place on, I believe, Friday and up against um, the... Um, the NCAA tournament is Juju Smith-Schuster signing a one-year deal with Kansas City for an offense that was loaded to begin with. You add another piece like that, and that just you know makes things even more complicated for defenses. To me, that's a really underrated and under-talked about signing. Yeah, it's an interesting signing. I know that they were linked to Jarvis Landry as well. It was very clear that they were looking for that other middle of the field option besides Kelsey, um, you know, to complement Tyree Kill and to complement uh, Travis Kelsey. I still think that they probably are going to draft some young talent um, in draft. It's a very deep wide receiver class. So I, I do like it. Juju Smith Schuster, though, has is a couple years removed from some of his more productive years. But I do think a lot of that had to do with the way Big Ben was aging and the way that he was playing. He does give you some size on the outside. He, he's a good route runner. He's good underneath. That should open things up for, for Tyreek Hill even more on you know deep down the middle. Uh, and Travis Kelsey underneath, too. So it's a very, very friendly contract. It's a one-year contract. If it doesn't work out, then you know, see you later. We don't have to worry about it. But he needs to get back to that form he showed the first couple of years he was in Pittsburgh. I think I was just play with a guy like Patrick Mahomes will do that. One would think that that could be the invigorator um, back to restart a career like he had and, and prove that it was ultimately Big Ben's aging and not anything on Juju's side that had limited him. Uh, we are here with Danny Flecka here on Teeing It Up talking about NFL free agency. Part of that is the Russell Wilson trade. Um, that lands him in Denver. Denver had been linked to basically every quarterback there is. Um, so good to get him going. Um, and <clears throat> sorry, good to get that locked up so that they can focus on other things. But as you sit here right now and you look at Russell Wilson and Denver and you look long term, I, I, I know you're not the biggest Russell Wilson fan in general, but seeing the other things they've done, seeing this team, is this a team that can get them somewhere? Um, or is this a team that's going to have to struggle for a year or two while they try to figure out what Russ does best for them? I think they're going to compete. I think they're in a good spot to compete. I just think that they're in the worst division possible to do that. 
again, you have to beat the Chargers twice. You got to beat the Chiefs twice. And the Raiders are going to give you a game, um, you know, both times as well. Those are six games that are really a toss-up. But I think it can go either way. You know, if you can go four and two in that division, that that's a, that's a good year, I think, for Denver. And then obviously, it hopefully puts you in a spot where you know you can compete for a, a wild card playoff spot. The, the thing to me that's a little confusing about this move is you are banking a lot on a quarterback that is aging, that is best. His best trait is his mobility. Uh, there's going to come a point in time where that's going to fade a little bit. I, I, I do think the one interesting piece with this is that you have players on that team that haven't been able to produce, and a lot of it's been due to the quarterback. What happens now with that expectation saying, hey, now you have a quarterback, you have an offensive mind as, as a coach, he's going to bring a lot of similar concepts that we saw in Green Bay, and you know, the Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, um, Kyle Shanahan, you know, type of offense. What are you going to do now with that expectation? You know, guys like Jerry Judy, uh, KJ Hamler, they also have, you know, Tim Patrick, Portland Sutton. Those are great wide receivers to have, but now the expectation is going to be that you have to produce, and they haven't done that yet. So we'll see what happens now with that with Russell Wilson there, what what type of production we get from them knowing that, okay, now it's not the excuse anymore is it going to be well, we have the defense but no quarterback. Now you have the quarterback. You have to be able to produce. So that's going to be the interesting part. But I think the division is it's going to be a gauntlet for them. It's going to be very intriguing to see who survives out of that. And who's able to put themselves in the spot to get that, you know, home that home playoff game, which is what they're all going to be vying for. You know, we're going to be looking at, you know, three really good quarterbacks playing against each other six, six or seven times next year, which is going to be great from a viewing perspective. But as a fan of those teams, those are games that are going to decide whether or not you have that that home playoff game. We got three and a half minutes left. Do you want to talk about? Any other free agency stuff that intrigued you or the NCAA tournament? Uh, let's talk about the NCAA tournament. That's Go more for it. to me than uh, free agency the last couple of days. Go for it. I, I thought Thursday was more interesting than yesterday. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, you know, we saw Iowa lose. Kentucky obviously was a big story. Um, a lot of close games on Thursday. And... I think that sets up today a lot of intriguing matchups today. And you got, you know, 12 o'clock tip off North Carolina Baylor, which I think is going to be hopefully a good game. Uh, Baylor had some injuries, but I do think that North Carolina is just physical enough to give them a game. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. And then I think all eyes are going to turn to, you know, what St. Peter's does uh, today, too. Do they have enough left in the tank to make a run? I don't think they do, but but we'll see. But I think one of the more interesting games today is Providence versus Richmond. Uh, obviously, Richmond had a great game against Iowa. Providence, everybody thought, was going to be upset. They do just enough to win every single time they step out on that court, but now they have an opportunity to get to the Sweet 16. So I think that, to me, is 
This is the most interesting game today. I'm sure there'll be a lot more interesting games, but just looking at it on, on paper, that one to me is the one I want to sit down and watch because I, no one thought Providence would win. No one really thought Richmond would win. And now both teams have an opportunity at Sweet 16 and going up against the Kansas team. Uh, obviously still has to win today, but if they do, you know, that's going to be an intriguing you know, Sweet 16 game depending on who makes it out of there. St. Mary, <clears throat> excuse me, St. Okay, sorry. It's one of those things where you got to make sure that your throat is in a good spot or else you're going to be like, wait a second. Got to be able to be heard. St. Mary's UCLA, which is a 7-10 tip. UCLA is one of my final four teams. They're a sleeper team for me. They no longer have Kentucky to worry about in that conference. However, St. Mary's... One of those up-and-coming teams, I think, you know, can play with a little bit of house money here. Um, in the same way that St. Peter's can also play with a little bit of house money. But UCLA today, this could be one of their biggest tests the entire tournament. Yeah, UCLA did not look good on Thursday. No. And I, I like them a lot. I picked them to go far. I like the makeup of their team. I like Mitch Cronin as their coach. They got to shoot the ball better today. You know St. Mary's is going to shoot the ball, so you have to be able to, to make your outside shots. But, man, the one thing when you watch these games is there's two things that always pop out to me. There are teams that play outside. There, there are two things uh, that really stand out, and that's one where teams start to play outside of who they are. You know, to kind of match their opponent. And you see that a lot in these one-and-done games is that you try to maybe outsmart the opponent a bit. And, and to me, that's always the recipe for disaster. You know, you want to be who you are, play your game. If you lose playing your game, so be it. But the free throws, these teams got to make free throws. I, yep. From a betting perspective, too, I you know, I don't really bet a lot on basketball. It's very frustrating to bet on basketball. But these, these teams, you know, these bets or these games always come down to me, the free throws. I don't, I don't get why teams are maybe a little bit more aggressive and, and go after teams in the paint, get them in situations where they can get, you know, free throws, get an opponent, uh, really make the other team be stressed on the defensive end so they, you know, play a little bit more cautious. That should open things up for you on the outside. But UCLA, you mentioned, they worry me from a free throw perspective. One of their best players, um, Jamie Yaquez, or however you pronounce his name, can't shoot free throws. He's like a 63% free throw shooter, and he's going to get free throws. And in a game like that, like you mentioned today, he's got to be able to make them. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you want to look at the teams that shoot really well from the line, and those are the teams that might have more success as the tournament goes on, but, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the Kentucky team. You know, they started off the overtime period against St. Peter's, one for six from the line. Yeah, that's not going to cut where, it. That's where you lose the game, and especially in these tight games. That four-point lead is, is precious. If you're able to build that two-possession lead, it really puts yourself in a good spot, but, you know, I don't think there's enough emphasis on, on shooting free throws anymore because everybody wants to shoot the ball from outside the arc. Exactly. And you look at um, LSU last night, same exact kind of thing. Same exact kind of thing when they tried to beat Ohio. Uh, sorry, when they tried to beat um, Iowa State. <coughs> Just did not 
work out for them. I'm going to give you one last thing here. Arkansas, 740 tip locally. Memphis, uh, I believe they're in the central time zone, 840 tip locally. Sometimes these teams that have to sit around all day, all day, all day and wait, and you end up in the last game of the day, that is sometimes some of the toughest things. They, these teams have to come out, and they have to come out fast. You start missing shots if you can't make your free throws, if you just seem off, and it's because you've waited around all day and you tried to keep this energy up, and that's unsustainable. That's something you got to work on. And I think for those two teams, that's something to watch come today. Yeah, we saw it a little bit last night with Wisconsin. Yeah, and just you yeah, sit. All day, and they came out. I mean, that was an interesting game, but Wisconsin was a little bit flat in the first half, and, and Colgate came out with the energy. I think, like we see a lot in, in this tournament, it's great. The first the first weekend is always great because that's where you get get you know these games that, that provide these upsets. But I think the set you know as we move forward in the tournament, the better team is knock on what should win. At the end of the day, I want to see the best possible teams out there. Arkansas is an interesting team, and, and so is Memphis. I think Memphis gets absolutely destroyed by Gonzaga today. <laughs> Excuse me. I just think Gonzaga figured it out on on uh, Thursday. Just go inside. We're going to make, make you guys play defense in the post. We're going to shoot free throws, and we're going to – Hammer you with Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. Yeah. Memphis to me has no has not enough shooting to keep up with them. If Gonzaga just starts to build a lead and runs in transition, they're done. Arkansas plays New Mexico State, who got an out of world performance by one of their players on Thursday against UConn. Is that sustainable for them? I don't know, but Arkansas to me they're pesky. They they're gonna fight. I love. Their coach, I love the way that he gets that team set up. Um, I, I thought Arkansas UConn would have been a great matchup to see from a physicality standpoint, but I, I think that's going to be an Arkansas victory. I, I hope at least. I, I, again, I want to see the best teams make it through at this point. And on that note, we thank Danny Flecko for joining us here on Teeing It Up to talk. NFL free agency and the NCAA tournament as we embark on the Saturday of the first weekend of the road to the final four. Danny, thank you as always for coming on teeing it up. No problem, man. Have a great rest of the day. You got it. And same to all of you out there.